Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are in our Deuteronomy series. Today's conversation is called, Can I Get a Witness? The question for you to start off with today is, is there someone in your life who you admire for their integrity and why? Enjoy. in the book of Deuteronomy, and the Bible has a flow to it, how it works. Deuteronomy is paired with the book of Exodus, that Exodus is this moment of salvation and liberation where God frees God's people from their specific oppressor. But it's not just enough in life to be freed from something. Now, once you're freed from something, you actually have to go live a life worthy of the thing that you've been freed from. This is the story. Many of us are asking for the salvation moment, for God to appear, for God to do all of the work, and then that thing happens, and then you're still the same person. Maybe you were freed from that thing, but that doesn't mean you've grown up yet. Because wherever you go, there you are. And there's just some things that need to take place within you. The story of the New Testament is the same thing. God frees God's people, God frees all of humanity from oppression, from a burden, liberates, saves is the language we use. And those are the gospel stories of the work of Jesus. But even Jesus is like, I'm gonna get out of here, you're gonna have the Holy Spirit, and you gotta grow up right? And that's the book of Acts. And these are the stories of Paul. It's all about now you're the church. You've got to do your thing. You're no longer infants, right? Dad is left and mom, right? Mom and dad are out of the building and you got to go figure out how to cross the street on your own. This is real life. And these cycles flow in everything that we do. You get a new job and you get trained and someone holds your hand and walks you through and helps you out and makes sense of things for you. And then you got to go do some maturity. This is just what it means to be human beings. This is the story and the flow of scriptures. Deuteronomy is all about maturity. It's now all about the people of God that they've been freed from something. They have made it through the wilderness, the gray period, the transition, when you're figuring it out, trying to understand life, and you're about to cross into the promised land. It's the story of, as you're about to enter into this new season of life, do you have the maturity to live out this thing well? Because the Bible will warn you. If you don't garner a little bit of maturity in you from learning the things that you gained from Egypt, learning the things that you learned about in the wilderness, then when you go into the promised land, it's very likely that you will become your own Pharaoh because hurt people hurt people. And we tend to hurt people in the exact same way that we were hurt. That's how it works. So it's not just enough that you raise your hand, that you said the prayer and that you did the shamalonga ding dong at camp, all right? It's now you come down from the mountain and how are you gonna live your life? And those are important words for people like in a place like New Abbey, because there's so much deconstruction that's gone on here. There's so many things that you've let go of and you're saying, I don't know, I'm figuring it out. But that's not just an excuse to say, let's just blow up everything, throw off all the guardrails and I'm just going to do whatever the F I want, right? It's like, okay, yeah, you are talking about a more inclusive, bigger God. You are talking about a God who just doesn't have some tiny little story for humanity. Now, how do we live into that thing in a bigger way? And so as we move into Deuteronomy today, uh, we're going to talk about this old school word, bear with me, witness. And a witness is simply uh, evidence or proof of something. How many, you know, you've been in the church, can I get a witness, right? Come on, come on church, give me a witness in this place. There we go. I know Frankie's got it. You saw him up here. Come on, getting Jesus, getting Jesus in the house today. 
Lord, is somebody ready to tithe? I feel it, God. <laughs> Pastor needs a new Mercedes. Come on now. <laughs> that was just a commercial break. I don't know what that was. That was not planned. I felt it, and if anyone wants to give me a Mercedes, I'm just saying I'm open. I'm open to where God might lead you in this moment. But a witness is simply saying evidence or proof of something. Can I get a witness? Can you be the evidence or the proof of the thing that we're talking about? Can you be the evidence or the proof of the salvation that you just received from Egypt? You just got through that thing where you finally had to work up the courage, be brave enough to come out. You finally just got through that relationship. You finally just, whatever the thing was, were freed from that addiction. Someone in here last week said they had six years of sobriety. You had to go through the hard work of being sober because you knew the addiction was tearing apart your life. Now can you be a witness to other people so that they too can have sobriety? Now we're talking. That's the faith that we're invited into. Can you be an evidence or a proof of something bigger? Deuteronomy is asking. And it's never promising you that it's going to be easy. It's going to get more difficult. Also, side note, Deuteronomy is weird. Weird. It's a weird book because there's just things that we don't like follow in it, right? You'll read through passages and it will be like, don't wear mixed cotton. And we're like, oh no, God's so mad at me. No, it's weird. It has nothing to do with your life. And Jesus will take that and play on it and say, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. The thing grows and it evolves and it gets bigger. Thank God that Deuteronomy was not the last book of the Bible. That the thing opens up into a wider, more inclusive, more universal story for all of humanity. And Jesus invites us into it. But Deuteronomy still has something to say about what it means to be a mature witness in our world to the things that we believe that God has for humanity. So if we're going to talk about a mature witness, we've got to talk about some things. We've got to talk about proactive integrity. And then as we're talking about proactive integrity, we've got to talk about the realities that we have and the confirmation biases that we have around it. And if we're going to talk about the confirmation biases that each and every single human being has on planet Earth, then we'll just talk about some really practical stuff like HALT, a good acronym. And then if we're going to understand really what it means for proactive integrity, then we're going to talk about the other side of the passage that we're going to look at, which is like this reactive equality, that you may know this, but sometimes equality is not given freely on this planet and you have to react to something, and you have to set a better example even when the powerful aren't setting the example for you. Deuteronomy is very aware of that, how the world actually works. Uh, and then we're going to talk about Hammurabi, because when have you talked about Hammurabi since the ninth grade in history class, am I right? And then we're going to talk about some Jesus evolution with where we're going. Follow along with me in Deuteronomy. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense that they may have committed. If you read three or four chapters ahead of this in the book of Deuteronomy, it talks about you should always bring two or three witnesses. The Baptists took that very seriously, um, right? That was kind of a joke. No one's Baptist in here. Anybody? <laughs> two or three gathered? You can do anything? Baptists? <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll figure out what you are later. Um, and the whole one or two, three witness thing is this reality that you need multiple people there to actually have perspective on something. It's also an easy checks and balance for the world. It's not just about one person who has all of the right ideas. It's not about one person who gets to stand on stage and because they had an MDiv that they have all of the answers and authorities for your life now. It's about saying that there's lots of checks and balances for how this God thing actually works on planet Earth. 
So you need multiple witnesses there. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse someone of a crime, the two people involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who were in the office at the time. Again, just more checks and balances that are involved for how your witness goes on planet Earth. You're standing before God. It's this reality of this is just the truth of what it means to be human. And this is not like, oh, I said shit. I better close my eyes. I'm not going to make the rapture. It's not that weird stuff. Right, I, that was my whole, growing up, right? I had to ask for forgiveness every other second because I like, might miss this thing. That was weird theology. But it's more of this beautiful reality of, oh, my whole life is integrated with God. And this should be beautiful and, and evolving and growing. And it's not guilty or shame, it's about maturing. And that's a life that I actually wanna live. And there's other people there who are actually credible human beings who are gonna be a part of the shaping of my witness so that the witness, the, the evidence and the proof of my life, it means something not just to me, but to other people is what it's saying. So the judges must make a thorough investigation and if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite, then do to the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. This would really stop some false accusations on planet Earth, right? It's like, yeah, if, if you wanna go make some false accusations against someone, you better be really sure about what you're saying. Because if you go make it, then the, the things that you want to happen to them are going to come happen to you. You must purge the evil from among you. Comforting words. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. There's an integrity that this passage is talking about that I think that we need to be really proactive on. Integrity, right, is rooted and based in the word integrated, integrated with everything else around you. That's where we get this idea of integris. It's whole, it's complete, that you are an integrated part, an integral part with the rest of humanity. And so what this passage is pushing towards is if you were ever to give an honest witness or account of somebody else, you better be very sure of the thing that you're gonna talk about. So it's asking for your own self-awareness and your own ownership of who you are as a human being before you would go proclaim something about somebody else. Because for most of history, words mattered. Words were the thing that were binding contracts. When you said something with your words, it meant something deep and profound. We live in a world where words mean nothing. We have endless data and endless words coming at us every second. Right, every six months, there's as much data and information put out on the internet as there were in the entire rest of history combined. And that keeps exponentially getting more and more and more and more and more. The point is, we just have more and more words and more and more data and we can't keep up with what's going on. We live in a world where Twitter is fact and journalism is fake news because words do not matter. We can just say whatever we want. We live in a world where all of us have participated in the mess that is social media, where anybody on there can kind of say whatever you want and you now have the freedom to comment. That's weird. <laughs> and it's not somebody on there who's thoughtfully self-aware and taking ownership and stock of their life, recognizing if I say these things about this other human being, that I am an integral part of the universe and I should be very thoughtful about the kind things that I'm about to say. No! That is not what's happening on planet Earth on social media. And so there's this challenge for us to find an integrity, be, uh, an integrity around the words that we use as a part of our witness. The words that we are offering are a representation of who we are at all times. 
And this passage is challenging that by saying, if you were to ever actually go give witness about somebody who actually did something wrong, that the rest of the society wants to know that your witness, that your integrity is intact. Because the words of your life, the integrity of your life actually mean something. We're not just spitting out information on planet Earth. So if we're gonna be aware of the integrity that we're gonna have, then we have to do some really deep dives into who we are as human beings. And who we all are as human beings is that we have confirmation bias, which means this. Confirmation bias makes human beings concentrate on information that supports their beliefs and neglect or undermine that information which goes against their beliefs. This is where the internet is magical because algorithms are gonna give you exactly what you're looking for. If you're just talking out loud in your house, you know that whatever her name is, Alexis, is listening to you, right? That you're, have you ever done that? Like you're talking about cars in your house, and next thing you look online and social media, and all these car ads pop up, and you're like, they found me again, right? <laughs> and that we all have confirmation biases for what we're looking for. I find it so interesting that this 4th of July, and I'm just going to admit my politics here, I wanted Trump's 4th of July salute to just fail. I wanted it to look awful. I couldn't wait to go on the news and to see that there was just seven people standing there, <laughs> right? And that's on me. Because the only thing that I can change, the only maturity that I can have on planet Earth is about me. And so I had a confirmation bias. What if it was the most beautiful thing ever? What if it brought healing and unity and inclusivity? It'd be a miracle, but what if? <laughs> but I have already prejudged the thing from ever having the capacity to do that. Because of my confirmation biases, I am only looking for information that will make Donald Trump look like more of an idiot. And I generally move away from any information that might advocate or support him. And here's the deal. I would like to believe that he's like every other human being. He's not completely an idiot or completely perfect. And he's this polarizing lightning rod figure that challenges the confirmation biases that I have on planet Earth. And it's not just those confirmation biases. I have confirmation biases in all the things that I do in life all of the time. Let's play a little game here, shall we? How many of you have been thinking about a friend and you kind of like start to come up with some idea about like how this friend is treating you, right? Oh my gosh, the last time I saw them at the restaurant, they really didn't ask how I was doing. Do I think that they're mad at me? Man, you know, and then I haven't seen them like any of my stuff on Instagram in the last four days. And then so you text them. No one's guilty right now. I know, I'm just talking about my life, my life. And then you text them and you're like, hey, how's it going? I've been thinking about you. But what you're really trying to say is love me back. I know you're mad at me, aren't you? And then you see like the little ellipsis is going and going. It's like 10 seconds. We're like, they're taking 10 minutes just to say, hi, how are you? What's going on, right? And then no text returns. And you're like, I knew it. They hate me. They're angry at me. They don't want anything to do with me. I thought we were best friends. And you come up with this more, this bigger story now, right? Oh, and now I hate them and that mother. Like, you know, I, I really never liked them in the first place. And I always knew this is truly who their character was. And then 10 minutes later, they get a text like, oh, I'm so sorry, I was putting down a kid for the nap. And you're like, fuck. <laughs> oh, remember the other day that I saw you at the restaurant? No, 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 I wasn't ignoring you. Like my grandmother died today and it was really heavy in my heart. Oh, the whole world's not about me? What? And that's the confirmation bias that we have, is that reality is centered from our point of view, which means it's our vantage point. It is the only vantage of perspective that we have on planet Earth is through this little movie that's going on. 
And so what this is challenging us is there are even times where you're going to go give a witness about somebody else. And you have to so have integrity that you might even be able to recognize in yourself that you have confirmation bias. Most people believe their own BS. And then we go out and look for other people to co-sign our BS. <laughs> and the internet is a wonderful place for that to happen. See how right I am? And what this is challenging is have enough integrity to know that your witness means something and that you need to have some self-awareness and some ownership of the fact of who you are and that you have confirmation biases out there. And that's just a part of the reality of what it means to be human. And that's difficult. There's this, uh, these wonderful questions that, that I was looking at when it comes to asking just what, what, how do I think about posts when I see them? Is are which parts that I automatically agree with? Which parts did I ignore or skim over without realizing? How did I react to the points which I agreed or disagreed with? Right, again, 4th of July, I'm just looking for information. I'm not finding the article. I'm just going to the next one. I'm not even taking time to read it. But if it was something like negative stuff about the salute to 4th of July, I would, I would be, you know, footnoting. And who knows what I would be sending it to other people. Because I want my reality to be confirmed. That's what I want. How many of us have played the Mean Girls scenario where someone's really hurt us and we're just trying to get everyone secretly in in our little story now, right? We got all these things going on. You know how they hurt me. Oh, and I remember how they hurt you. And oh, these are the games that we play. And Deuteronomy is trying to say, hey, your words actually matter. Your witness actually matters. You better be really careful if you're going to come forward and say something about another human being. The impact that that could actually have will have a dramatic influence on their life. And you should be thoughtful about what you say because if you say that about them and it's not accurate and other people come in and they say that your confirmation bias was complete BS right now, whatever you wanted to happen to them is going to happen to you. Uh-oh. Changes a little bit. Maybe it'll make you slow down. Maybe you don't press enter as quickly on the keyboard. Maybe you don't send that text. Maybe you like pray or meditate or don't let yourself go down that spiral of this is a whole catastrophizing situation and everything's falling apart because praise God, you know, I, knew, I do that all the time. And it just becomes, oh, I, just, I need to sit in the uncomfortability here and, and, and the complexity of what's going on. And the internet is a place that, like I said, it's just this place that is like steroids for our biases. And really the bigger question is, are we just asking bigger questions? There's this other set of things that I want to think about for our confirmation biases. Are there areas of your life that you just challenge your thoughts? What I love about New Abbey is that there's a diversity of people in this room. And every time we have somebody who's doing a meet an interesting person or sharing their story or their particular background, we work really, really hard that it's just not one person speaking up here all of the time so that, your bi so that my biases don't become your biases. Because that's what happens a lot of times in church. What it needs to be is, no, no, we are a body of Christ. A church is not the person who's up front. It is the body of people. So the more we hear each other's stories, the more we get into groups, the more your reality is challenged, and that's a better thing for you. That will make you healthier. That will grow your witness because it's going to make you more empathetic. It's going to make you more gracious. It might give you more gratitude for the things that you have going on in your life. It's only going to open you up, and that happens as we create space to actually hear one another. Be receptive and open to criticism. Lord knows I hate that point. It's hard to be criticized. It's hard to be receptive to it. Right? I love the St. Francis quote, right? Seek to understand and not to be understood. Did I do that right? Yeah. And that's a challenge for all of us as human beings. How do I listen well? How do I know that I do have biases and there's a gift of two or three witnesses around me 
And how do I let them speak into my life and challenge the realities that I have? It's only going to make me a healthier human being. Ask for opinions from outside and collect information from diverse backgrounds. If the only people are speaking into your life are just within your little niche and tribe, there's probably a reason that you already found those people. Because they're confirming already all the things that you believe about planet Earth anyways, right? Like I make it a point every day to like read Fox News and Breitbart just to like hear something else, right? From, and I'm just talking politically. And I do that theologically, and I make sure that I have mentors in my life and sponsors and other people who speak into my life who are not part of these circles. Because I need to make sure that I don't have biases of what's going on because there's a responsibility about my witness, about the evidence of the proof of my life and what it means to be a pastor in this community. And that's true of all of us here. And just think from different perspectives. Go, go buy a book of somebody you've never read before. Go buy a book from an author who's from another culture, right? Go, go, go listen to a podcast of somebody who's completely different than the ideologies that you hold. We just have so much access to this stuff on planet Earth. And the whole point is this. If you want your biases to continue, it will happen. It's, it's easier to happen now than it's ever been before. And if you want to challenge your thoughts, and if you want to grow, and if you want to mature, you have just as much access. But it's all on you. It's all 100% on you. I was having this moment the other day at dinner, and my, my middle son, he... He just like didn't eat really that day because we were at the beach and he was running around and he was just grumpy as all get out and he was being mean to everybody at the dinner table and my nephew was there and he's like, I don't want you to hang out with us. You're not a part of our family. Like saying little hurtful things, but like four-year-old hurtful things, you know, where sometimes as an adult, you're like, I can't believe this four-year-old said this. It's like, it's a four-year-old breathe, you know. Um, <laughs> we're all saying the same things in our heart, but whatever. <laughs> not about that person, but we say mean things. We say angry things. And a lot of times that happens because of the good acronym that 12-step and sobriety groups use of HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. His reality was simply shaped because he was hungry. And he had some fish sticks and some kale salad and like 10 minutes later, he went to my nephew. He's like, I'm so sorry for my mean words. You were just hungry. Your reality was shaped by something really simple. You were angry, somebody pissed you off and now the rest of the day you went home, you treated everyone else poorly because what that person did you on the freeway. Any amens? Yeah. That person treated you like that at work and now you come home and everyone suffers for it. You're lonely. It's so amazing to be in a town like Los Angeles and you can be surrounded by people, but we feel lonely. And when you're really healthy, you can be alone, but you don't feel lonely. That's how you know you really got it going on, right? We literally live in a culture where the most famous people on planet Earth can feel lonely. Everyone wants to know them and be about them and be around them and they can be in a room at the Oscars and feel like no one is with them. Isn't that fascinating? Because you can have all of that, but still lack maturity and perspective for your life, right? And then the last one, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Sometimes you're just worn out and you're grumpy. And we're not always gracious to ourselves because we live in sunny California and we all got to hustle to survive. So you're just going, 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 working 12 hours a day, doing whatever. And you're just burnt out a little bit. And that's okay. But you're burnt out a little bit. It's part of the integrity that you have that you need to be proactive with your life is finding uh, places to just name the tiredness that you have and to do something about it so that it doesn't impact your witness. It doesn't impact the, the perspective that you have of other people. This is what the scriptures are teaching us. That if you're going to go have a witness about someone else, then you better be certain about who you are and what you got going on. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 7. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? We've all heard this story a million times, 
right? And it's much funnier if you have this giant thing that's in your eye and you were walking around like this. You look like an idiot. That's the point. And this is what Jesus is saying is that we all have the imagery for that. If you're walking around looking like this and you're like, but look at that person over there. It's like, what are you, what are you saying? First, deal with the stuff that you got going on. And you got a lot going on, but you got to be able to name it. Sometimes it's hard to see, even when it's massive. And, and for Jesus, it's not just so that you can never say something to someone. It's so that you can have a witness to say something to someone. Right? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You still have an integrated part in their life too, but it's about cleaning up your side of the street, cleaning off your mirror, getting your stuff together, and then you have a greater capacity to be a witness in their life. But if you're going around trying to clean up everybody else's stuff, but you still got your own crap going on, stop for a second, breathe, pause, try not to send that text. I know you're uncomfortable and insecure, but it will be okay, is what these scriptures are saying. The second half of the passage moves from us being like this proactive, proactive integrity to what I call like a reactive equality. And the reactive equality is that what happened in the ancient world is, is that not everyone had equal voices. And so Deuteronomy and the Bible is always trying to pull humanity forward so that we can see human beings as equal. That's why Paul will eventually get to a point, right, in Galatians and say things that there's, there's no male, there's no female, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no master, there's no slave, which were wildly audacious words in the Roman world. When there was a few incredibly powerful people and most everyone else was a slave. And the work of Jesus is that people would come together and they would have these love feasts where slave and master and Jews and Greeks, men and women, children who had no voices in the Roman world could speak openly to their fathers. That type of radical equality was God saying, it doesn't matter about your title. It's not about your birth order. At this table is where equality happens. And sometimes you're gonna have to fight for that. And so in the ancient world for, for Hammurabi's code, which is one of the oldest kind of pieces of law that we have on planet earth, there was this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That doesn't come from the Bible. The Bible borrowed that from another ancient group. But what would happen in the ancient world is that you would do eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth when somebody was of equal standing with you. So if somebody else was a slave and they accidentally knocked you over and you lost an arm for whatever reason, then you got to take their arm off. But if like a king was walking by you and accidentally knocked you over, that king could just basically pay some money to repair that debt, but they wouldn't have to lose an arm. There was an inequality that was taking place there. And so Deuteronomy is trying to move it back towards just because you're rich or just because you're powerful, just because you're a man and it happened to a woman or whatever, all of the weird stuff that we still do on planet earth is, doesn't mean that you get to get out of it because of what took place. So it moves it back to, you don't get to just pay this off because you're powerful. It's still eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Which like now we're like, that just feels like Neanderthals. But back then was evolution and pulling society forward to try to force out an equality of what was taking place there. It was trying to challenge the, kind of the, the witness that you would have with other people by making everyone's witness equal. That was what was really important. So Jesus will take that and Jesus will evolve it and push it forward even further. Matthew 5 says this, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. It's basically saying this, someone else is gonna be more powerful from, from you, right? 
And even if they wrong you, we're going to take this to the next level because your witness is still going to be held accountable here. You still have a bigger story to say even when the powerful people are working against you. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go to one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You can just leave this passage up here just a minute. So uh, Frankie, will you come up here a second? So what Jesus is doing is Jesus is trying to increase the equality in, in a whole nother way. So what would happen in the ancient world is I would open hand slap Frankie if I was his master, okay? And I would do this, right? Demonstration. There you go. But Frankie would show equality. So this is not like just sometimes in Christianity, we do weird things with this passage where we're like, just take more abuse because that's going to show off God. That is not what it's saying. You've kind of heard stories like that. We have like weird false humility in Christianity sometimes. There's, you still should have boundaries. You should still be healthy. This passage is saying, if somebody disrespects you and a master slaps you open-handedly, now you turn to them your right cheek. And you turn to them your right cheek because now the master has to use the backside of the hand. And now you are equals in that society. Because a master could not slap another master. Like if you were angry at someone, could never open hand slap. That's disrespectful. Does that make sense? You would do that to a child. You would do that to somebody below you. You would do that to a slave. But if it was like two politicians going at it, you'd give them the backhand. So it's you turning the right cheek for a reason to say, no, no, I am now your equal. I'm giving you a new witness in this world. You thought that you were above me. If you're going to slap me, slap me on this cheek, mother, right? <laughs> Those are powerful words. That's what all of the other things got going on here too. If someone, I love the one, if anyone forces you to go one mile, you go with them too. In the ancient world, you can sit down and you look beautiful, but you're great. Um, thank you, Frankie. If a soldier, a soldier at any time could require you to go one mile, they could just force you to do it. And this is saying, hey, they want to play that game. We're going to push it even further. And you're going to go with the second mile because you're going to force equality. You're going to show them that you're choosing to do this. You're going to show them that they can't dehumanize you. All of these things are used to force equality and to change the witness. It's not saying keep being a victim, just keep getting beat down. No, it's saying be evidence and proof of something greater, of something more mature, of something bigger. This is the kind of witness that you have in the world. Do you have a witness that is rooted in your integrity, that you're so thoughtful, that you're so self-aware, that you have such deep ownership of your life? That whenever you say a word about somebody, that whenever you take an action, people say, I know that person and their witness means everything. Man, they are surrounded by a diverse community. They have so many healthy mentors in my, their lives. They've done therapy. They've got spiritual direction. They're just, they're the epitome of something that when they say it, it really challenges the reality of what's going on there. And we want to be surrounded by people like that, right? That's what the scripture is saying is, do you have that kind of integrity? And when you have that kind of integrity, even when things go wrong, you're going to have such a deep integrity that even when people abuse you, you're still going to stand up and you're going to turn the other cheek and you're going to demand a higher level of equality. Because that's the type of maturity that you carry. That's the evidence and the proof that you have in this world of this good news of Jesus. It's radically different. It demands integrity. It calls out equality. And that's what Deuteronomy is asking about. If you find the same three or four people around you, and we'll answer this question, how can your witness mature? It's a super broad question. This is about your life. If it works for you, answer. If it doesn't work for you, talk about what works. Enjoy.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.